Hey folks, welcome back to the Traders for a Cause podcast. I'm your host, Zach Shellhaas, Executive Director of Traders for a Cause. My guest this week is a, a good friend of mine, happens to be a supporter of our cause and our charity. And he is a retail trader and moderator and risk manager at True Trader, which you can find at truetrader.net. Ladies and gentlemen, I present Mr. Ricky Analog. What's happening, Ricky? Thank you, thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been trying to get this done for a while now. I think I talked to you probably this spring about coming on the podcast. Yeah, I'm happy we can finally get it penciled in. I just finally getting over this stupid COVID. <laughs> so, you're are you pretty sure that what you had was COVID, or even though I, you didn't get a test, did you? No, I never ended up getting tested because the stupid uh, wait list was like silly long. Um, but honestly, like it really. In my opinion, it, it was like almost no doubt in my mind. They say now, I guess doctors are even telling people like, you know, if you have the following symptoms, just assume that you have COVID. That's how rampant it is. But I did look recently, at least in Pennsylvania, I know that cases are coming dramatically down from where they were just a couple of weeks ago. So hopefully this uh, Omicron or whatever will go away as quickly as it came in. That one can only hope. Yeah, one comes in and a new, or one goes out and a new one comes in, it seems like. So it's, just this revolving door. So Ricky, uh, a lot of people know you for some of your YouTube content that you've done over the years, you know, talking about fundamental analysis and how to, uh, how to ignore noise and, you know, cut to the core and cut through the bullshit, if you will. How did, take, how did you get to the point where you wanted to start generating content to begin with? You know, where, like, let me follow the path from the beginning what would you be doing right now if you weren't a trader? That's a good question. Like I, I did used to run my own business and I lost the passion for that, that industry, that business that I was in. And, you know, thankfully I had trading and trading was what filled that void. So like now, man, that's a tough one. Cause honestly, I have no idea what I'd be doing. Um, I'd probably like, I have uh, an uncle who's actually in the industry I've always had this interest in the market. So like, okay. if I wasn't trading my own accounts, I might probably be bugging him to bring me on. Okay. Like I really do love the industry and and, the, and just markets in general. Um, granted what he does is like night and day from what most of us retail traders do. Uh, he runs a firm, like a Raymond James firm. And so okay. that's much more macro. I'm a hundred percent sure he's a long only fun. So like, I know when I see like, the market's having these big corrections, like <laughs> need to call in and uh, check up on him, make sure he's doing okay. Cause, uh, of course. but other than the markets, man, my, my real hobbies and passions are like all things that revolve around being outdoors or, you know, sports. I'm big into hockey and skateboarding and soccer, but again, like those aren't the kind of things that are going to pay the bills. Of course, That's just what I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what you're saying is that if you didn't trade professionally, that you'd figure out a way to make money skateboarding. <laughs> no, I would, I would most likely find a way to wiggle my way into the industry, whether like an analyst job or something. I just, you know, I still have that love for the markets. So take me back to, I mean, we talked, we talked before about how we're very similar in age and, you know, we're going on. 20 years now being out of high school and everything. What happened when you got out of high school? What did you do at that point? I mean, how did you develop your thirst for finance, your thirst for the markets? Well, I took the slow route through college. I was like a 
eight year um, bachelor degree. I switched majors like four times, I think. Okay. Uh, originally, I wanted to do video editing because that was something I used to do through skateboarding. I used to like edit all kinds of skate videos. So I was, I ended up in graphic design and realized that like video editing is a very small part of graphic design. And so I was like, I don't really fit in here. And I ended up in like criminal justice. I thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer and then I switched to business. And then I, when I was in business school, I took a marketing class and realized I really, really liked marketing. Mm-hmm. And that was like what I ended up graduating with uh, a degree in marketing. I had a business that I was running on my own that put me through college. And when I graduated, the job market sucked. And so I graduated college in 2012. And yeah, the job, like, like I said, there wasn't a lot of jobs out there. And even the ones there were, weren't going to offer me better pay than what I was currently making. So I just continued to run my own business and actually merged it with my business partner, who was my best friend for many years, right? We still, we're still best friends. Uh, I'm no longer part of the business. That business, we grew it to a point where it was pretty close to um, passive income, right? We had a lot of employees that played key roles that made it so we could be hands off a lot of it. And uh, so that gave me the time to kind of pursue some sort of passion outside of the business. Same with my business partner. And I chose the markets. So what was the business? That's the second mention. It was online retail. Um, okay. We had some contracts. I was in Hawaii. And so okay. I had contracts with a lot of businesses in Hawaii to help them monetize inventory and stuff through e-commerce because a lot of people in Hawaii, uh, Hawaii moves at its own pace. Like Hawaii is like it's unique Slow. little. Yeah. And so like there's a lot of opportunity there if you understand that. And so, you know, we had a lot of contracts with businesses that we helped do that. Yeah. So we ended up with like a warehouse there, a warehouse in Kansas city, a warehouse in Northern California. And like I said, had, had some key employees that were trustworthy and able to keep things running while I decided to uh, learn a new skill. A new skill. And, and that, and that skill became retail trading essentially. Yeah. It's funny because it started out as me reading books like The Intelligent Investor and like Security Analysis, the most dry, boring book ever. And, uh, you know, like I totally thought like that's what trading was going to be like, was more like investing. Right. And then I got my first taste of trading my own accounts in 2000. I want to say it was 2013. It was the first pot stock boom. It was, it went terribly, right? Like I literally, <laughs> I, I found Twitter and like realized people were pumping their, their trash on there. And I was like, cool, you just buy these things that people are talking about. It was all OTC crap. And I literally bought the top of the whole pot stock market and just watched all our accounts get cut in half in like a month, maybe worse. Baptism by uh, fire. But you know, I knew people back then, like, uh, like I'm sure you're probably familiar with cycle on wall street, Jesse, he's a good dude. He started around the same time. And I remember his story standing out to me because he, his story was, he had the opposite experience. He grew a, I don't, I don't remember if it was like a 40 or $50,000 account into like hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, right place, right time. And, you know, when that happens to you, you kind of get this ego that makes you feel like it was you and your, your wisdom that grew that account, not really knowing it was the market. Sure. And so like, I had the opposite, right? Like I just got humbled immediately. <laughs> I, you know, right or Probably wrong. better. It's probably yeah. better to have that experience up front. That's what I think. That's exactly yeah. what I think. I think yeah. it was a blessing that I learned the hard way immediately. Right, right on. 
So how did you do in 2021? I did gr- really good, but you know, it was very similar to 2020 for me where actually 2020 was really tough, even though I did really well, but there was still like at the end of the year, this, you know, year in review where there was just a few trades that got away a little bit. And, you know, it's like, you know, every single year this happens, right? We make these plans for, to cut those few bad trades out of your, um, your year, your calendar year. And uh, they were still present in 2021, just a few trades got away and it would have been like the difference between a tax bracket. But I mean, it's, it's okay. In fact, I went through like October was tough for me. I took back-to-back hits two consecutive days that were like really big hits for me. I had been going through some health issues where for like two years, I'd been seeing a doctor trying to get uh, them to diagnose whatever was causing me to have these, uh, it was like some abdominal pain issue, right? So like I was scared, liver cancer, kidney problems, something, I don't know, I had a lot of pain. Um, And for two years, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. They literally ran every test and they kept coming back and like, you're healthy, you're healthy. And I was like, dude, I don't feel healthy, right? Something's wrong. And then finally, they started asking questions about what I do for a living. And then they started to have these like aha things going like, you probably have anxiety or anxiety related health issues. It really kind of uh, caught me off guard because I never had even thought that that might be a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so when I took like those big hits in October, me personally, I don't know how everyone else copes, but like everybody has a way of coping, right? My only mechanism to cope with those kinds of like really lows in my career is to like bury my head deep in the data, right? Like to really do a deep dive. And I, you know, I realized that even though I've been a profitable trader for, you know, I was going on like six and a half years of profitable trading. I'm, I'm on my ninth year now of total trading. Even though I had like defined my system and my strategy and what it is that my, my core competency is, there was still a lot of what I did that was discretionary. And what I realized is like, with that much discretion, there's still a lot of stress we put on ourselves, whether you realize it or not. It's just part of the business. And we do it for so long that we don't even recognize it. We just think that it's normal, right? Like, honestly, I wasn't paying attention to the amount of stress I was putting on my body. But in hindsight, it's so obvious. Like, I, so what I did was I literally dove deep into the data and realized I needed to define everything about what I do. And I mean, everything. Like there's nothing about my system now that is left to discretion for me personally. And so it's like night and day, the mind state that I have when I trade. So example would be for the last six and a half, seven years or whatever, even though I was profitable, those 30 seconds counting down before the bell would ring, I would feel like a wave of anxiety rush over me, you know, because there's this lingering uncertainty of, oh crap, is today going to be the day where I take a big hit? You know, like, even though you know how to manage risk, there's still these unanswered questions that now that I've defined everything, when the bell's about to ring in the morning, I literally am smiling ear to ear and I feel almost like giddy, right? Like, I'm just like, bring me as many opportunities as you can. I'm ready. My job isn't to make decisions. My job is to just do what my system tells me. And so- Trust trust your process. Yeah. And it, it literally overnight almost, evaporated all that anxiety. It's just been an amazing transformation. That was just, you know, 
train for nine years, you don't have aha moments quite as often as you used to when you're earlier in your career. Of course. It was one of the biggest, if not the biggest aha moments of my career. And it was just last October. So, you know, we're starting February here and uh, I'm, I'm in a really good place. So I feel really, really good. That's amazing. And, and, you know, just the fact that you've established a systematic way of trading that can, you know, kind of relieve that level of stress. That's, that's incredible because most guys don't have that. You know, well, and it's not necessarily for everyone. I definitely preach it to everybody that'll hear me out on it, but it, you know, you have to figure out what works for you. And like, personally for me, you know, I have little kids and they like, I live on the West coast. So they typically like to wake up right when the bell rings. <laughs> and so right. if you, if you don't have everything defined and you feel like you put a trade on and you're on edge of your seat, your teeth are clenched, your muscles are tight and you're, you know, breathing really shallow kids making a bunch of noise in the background is like just compounding the stress. That's like nails on and, a chalkboard. But you don't, you know, they don't deserve their father to be that, you know, stressed out and focused on something as, you know, it, it you know, it's important, right? It's our job. It's how I provide for the family and stuff, but at the same time, like priorities. Right. And so same for my wife. And like, I always tell people this, if you have a wife or kids or even just a significant other, um, that is your support system in your journey to be a trader, you should never take that for granted how important their support is. Like without their support, it's not going to be a journey that is very easy to make, right? Like sure. the support of your your wife or your your girlfriend or and your kids, you know, the last thing you want to hear is them be like, I wish you didn't trade, right? Because <laughs> for me, that was another uh, end goal when I, did that deep dive was to come out the other side with something that allowed me to be a much better husband, a much better father and healthier. So good for you, man. That, that's thanks. great. That that's just a, such an accomplishment kind of segues into another question that I have. I mean, if you're truly a systematic trader and you've kind of taken discretion out of the, out of the mix, how do you feel about the idea or the notion that without taking big risks, there's no great reward? Like, do you view, trading for you as you know trading basically for a living or do you view it more like you want to develop personal wealth you know like how do you how do you approach it and it seems like the guys that in my experience the guys that really get to a level where they're you know buying vacation homes they're also willing to basically throw their guts out on the desk i mean do you view it even if you take it systematically and as a grind do you feel like you can reach that level as a trader yeah big time and like that's another one of those things that you know prior to october i might not have acknowledged but when you see the system and the way that it i mean even though it's systematized it's still affected in the the same exponential manner from compounding right so like you know i know what my win rate is and the risk reward associated with my average trade and you know as as the account grows the risk grows. And so like, I don't have to over uh, risk on any given setup. Now that doesn't mean that I won't put more risk on when, when the setups are there for that call for it. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm much more focused on cutting out anything that's even B minus, right? Like it's quality over quantity. And for me personally, you know, one of my mentors is Adriano over at true trader, and he's been a big influence on me. And one of the things he's always said that really stuck with me is like, what are you even doing in a trade where you can't take full size? Like, what does that say about the setup, right? And so 
that's something that stuck with me. And, you know, I keep that, you know, in the back of my head when I'm, when I'm putting trades on that, that fit my system's criteria, that if the system says we go, we're not putting on a, a half position. We're putting on the full position with the set risk and the market will do what the market's going to do. And, you know, the best thing that comes from that is the ability to completely remove any feeling of like my personal value being attached to the outcome of the trade. If you feel like uh, there's a bunch of discretion in the decision-making process, then you very well may internalize the outcome as something to do with you. It's funny, like, like I said, I've been meeting with a lot of the, the tag groups in our community, and I've been kind of probably overusing this metaphor, but I love this metaphor. And that is, it's like the Homer Simpson, where, you know, that guy is nowhere near qualified to make decisions about nuclear power. But he 100% is qualified to push a button when the system says push this button. Same way, I'm not qualified to talk about the intrinsic value of Netflix. You know, even the guys that get paid millions of dollars to do these analyst jobs are wrong all the time. Sure. So like there's nothing out there that makes me think that I'm going to have some sort of crazy insight to some market related stuff that's going to somehow generate me profits. But my system can and my system can do it agnostically with no kind of worry about any of those out, outside inputs right and sure. people can debate all they want whether whether the market is random or not but the thing is, is i feel like if you have that debate if you are saying that the market's not random is the reason you're saying it because you're scared you can't make money if it really is random because like my counter argument to that would be that like you definitely can still make money through the randomness. It's just a sequence of if then statements. And that's where risk management comes in, right? Like you can go read up on uh, Van Tharp, who was pretty much the godfather of risk management and position sizing. And he's done studies that would tell you, you know, you could flip a coin, which is as random as it gets. And through risk management principles and sizing position sizing principles can actually come out positive. And, you know, we as traders have the, the upside of being able to actually wait for a setup to have a better than a 50-50 probability, put the trade on, and then just let the market do what the market does. Now, where people get into trouble is when they don't want to admit that it's not going to be one that goes in the W column, right? And then sure. they fight it. <laughs> Let's go back to that coin flip. Okay. So, so I've heard the same thing about playing roulette at the casino, right? Like if you bet on black and, you, and every time you lose, you just double your bet, you'll always end up on top but you won't end up on top by much. Like you like you could go on a run, but if you continue with the system, eventually you're going to lose and basically start over. Yeah. Uh, so well, what I'm not, I'm not referring to the Martingale stuff, which right. is, I think you're talking about where you just double up when you're wrong. Right. 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 Uh, and that's actually probably one of the most dangerous things you can do <laughs> in the stock market because you know, the stock market can, continue never say something can't go lower never say something can't go higher right, right right but what it is alluding to is this this ability to put a trade on and if it starts to work i mean we can throw darts at a stock or a, a list of stocks right lands on upst and somebody calls up mark minervini and asks what they do i don't know <laughs> but, but we, if we put the trade on and it starts to work we can just try to let the trend pay us and, and let it work. And if it doesn't start to work right away, we can clip it quick and keep our losses small. And that's the ability to use 
you know, just let the stock work. It is random, in my opinion, at least. Like, I mean, again, we could have that debate, but to me, it doesn't matter because through the random randomness, we can still have if-then statements. And we know that a lot of times we are getting better than 50-50 odds, depending on what your system is and the, the setups that you trade. How does the system deal or, or adapt with black swans? Mine personally? Yeah. Mine personally takes them completely out of the picture because my, my risk is always predetermined. And one, a lot of this stuff that I'm trading nowadays isn't the small cap stuff. So like, I'm not going to, my stops not getting skipped. Um, you know, I was going to say liquidity stops. could be an issue, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so like, you'll see like a lot of the things I'm trading nowadays are obviously in the large caps and I'm still taking advantage of emotional moves because believe it or not, like, you know, AMD or Facebook or NVIDIA and Tesla, these names can make some moves that are 100% emotional, irrational moves. And we can look to get on the opposite side of those trades. And it's not a guaranteed win, but the probabilities are much higher that you're gonna get that reversion. And so like when I put these trades on, I have a hard stop in. They're not, there's not gonna be a situation where my stop gets skipped. And so my risk is always capped. And you know I'm fine stopping out every single time it takes me out because I know through my back testing and the data that it's going to play out in my favor eventually. So do you do it in the form of like a, a trailing stop order or do you just monitor it? And so personally, when I put on trades, I have a hard stop that's automatically placed. I have this neat little thing that was a gift from Alex Spazito. Thank you to Alex. It's just a stream deck, right? And I've turned I have it in, one. They're beautiful. Turned it into hotkeys for my DOS. So like I, my, I have hotkeys scripts. Thanks to uh, some guys. I think it's at Bear Bull Traders. Some guys over there figured out how to yeah. write these scripts for DOS. So it will calculate the position size to put me in based on where my stop's going. And I don't even have to do the math, right? Like a stock is spiking into my level. I just hotkey in. The stop's already put in there with the right position size. And so at that point, when I enter a trade, it doesn't mean that it's target or stop. If the, if the trade starts to work, I will have a discretionary stop that comes down to above the highs of that level so that, you know, once a trade starts to work, my, my risk goes from a full R to a much smaller fraction of that full R. And that's like, you know, that's why I like being able to just be full size, one entry, and then hit my targets or, or take it off. And uh, that's another good thing about, you know, the large caps is most people aren't trading accounts large enough that, you know, you're going to affect the liquidity of these names. So you've almost taken out, you know, your, your, anal your personal analysis of risk entirely. Like, you, you know, you recognize something that meets your, your setup qualifications and you let the system basically carry the torch from there. Yeah. 100%. Wow. That's amazing. That's, you should that's... see, uh, you should see the difference between the guy sitting here now and the guy that was here before October, right? Like I used to put trades on, and I didn't have like a hard stop and I would still kind of, as long as a move would stay emotional, I'd probably stay in the trade and possibly even have an ad. And, uh, you know, there's that, that guy that I'm describing, you know, he would put a trade on and his, my, my jaw would be clenched up. If somebody was making noise behind me, I'd quiet back there. You know, I'm, I need to focus. And it's like, why, why do I need to focus? It's not, it's not like the harder I stare at the, the level two or the time in sales like it's going to all of a sudden listen to me and, and bend <laughs> to my whim. Right. Yeah. So that, that guy is far removed in the past. And like, I'm, I'm so happy with where I'm at now in my trading, because when I put trades on now, 
Like I literally can put a trade on and just move straight on to finding the very next setup with no worry in the world about the trade I just put on, right? Like I know my stops there. I know my risk. Like one of the best feelings in the world is just knowing that the worst case scenario is like this predetermined loss, which is a math equation based on my account size, right? Very interesting. So how do you determine your system enters a trade at any given time when you deem that it fits the requirements to, to fit into your system? If it fails or if it triggers your stop, will you continue to look at it and try to do it again? And how do you prevent totally. like all the razor, like the razor blades, the, the cuts? Yeah. So it, it, if I stop out, any trade I take subsequently on the name has to be a completely new setup that's still valid for, for the criteria. Okay. But there are cases, there's like, you know, Comcast, uh, I think it was last week, mid, mid last week or something, you know, it, it pushed into a level where it was valid for me and I had put the trade on and it took me right out. And within a minute and a half later was still pushing even higher into the next level of my interest and the trade got put on. And what was funny was the outcome of that trade was a three R win. And the first loss was a one R loss. So I ended up two R on the trade and, you know, it was as if, I mean, I'd like to say it was a great feeling and all, but like one of the cool things about systematizing everything is it also kind of dulls the highs, but it also keeps you from hitting those really low lows too. Of course. So, you know, you keep a much more even keel with your, your mind state. So you're able to continue to just execute your trades. Act like you've been there, right? I mean, that, that's, yeah, kind of I mean, a hundred percent. And you know, a lot of people might not understand why that's a great thing, but I think if you're trading for the, the highs, you know, the, the high highs and all that excitement, you might be in it for the wrong thing. Right. So like, you know, if you're an adrenaline junkie and you just live for that feeling of like, you know, having that risk on and you're like on seats edge, like go find somewhere else to get your jollies and then trade to make a living, right? Trade to have your, your career and then go live your life outside of the markets. No, no, I agree. Uh, in the, in trading generally euphoria is as dangerous as depression. I mean, it, yeah. either one of them will get you in trouble without question. So you made this change this, just this past October as in October of 21. Yeah. My goodness. So this is fresh. Yeah. Big time. Really fresh. All right. Talk to me. I mean, I talked with Nate in the last episode. How do you see the market changed from the way that it was in 2020? I mean, we could state the obvious, but for you personally, aside from your implementation of this new system, what are you seeing different now than you were back then? Um, so obviously I think there's a little nuance to that question, right? Because it could be, we could apply that question to the small cap world and you might get one answer and like the large cap world would be completely different. Uh, 2020 was like gnarly for the small cap world. You know, I mean, it's no surprise. There was a lot of things happening in the, in the real world that created the situation that caused the small caps to be the way they were, right? We had everybody losing their jobs or staying at home because of COVID and the government's cutting checks and people online trying to search for ways to make money. There's always these people that chase the, the next shiny object, right? So they come into the market. They're most likely the reason there's this whole 90% uh, of traders fail statistic is probably 80% of them are the type of people that are coming into the market for the wrong reason to begin with. Of course. Um, so that created some, some very interesting moves in the small cat world. Uh, if you were a short seller in 2020, uh, you had your work cut out for you. It really made sure that you had risk management. If you were the type of trader 
that just added, added, added to the front side of a short move. 2020 was like your nightmare. <laughs> um, thankfully, like, you know, I'm, I've always been much quicker to cut losses than a lot of other people I know, even though like I still have those, those trades that would hurt me from time to time. I, I never come close to having blowups, right? Like that's not something I allow for myself. I think mostly because I have people that count on me, right? Like I have kids and a wife, so I'm not out there YOLOing. <laughs> you know, 2021 kind of, uh, you know, it started out very similar to 2020, but like in 2020, fundamentals went out the window, right? Like it, any kind of red flag you could find in an SEC filing mattered nothing, none at all. <laughs> like, nothing, right. Right. Dude, it, was, it was really a head scratcher for a lot of people. You would see people do like these really dilutive secondaries only to see the stock go higher. And then they do another secondary and then another one. There were like some companies, I think they got like four or five secondaries done. And, you know, now they're flush with cash, probably don't have to do another secondary for the foreseeable future. But like 2021 finally kind of brought us back to a point where fundamentals did start to matter again. We started seeing certain things have the reaction to them that you would expect so like you know people would do these offerings and prices would get crushed and a lot of short sellers were like oh thank god we're back you know we're back in business um, back to normal yeah and so now on the large cap side you know 2020 saw the the fed go right back to like pretty much zero on the interest rates just printing money left and right um, and so like you saw the rebound from the March 2020 lows was just like a straight up move. And we Insane were just, move. Yep. yeah, and we've been that way till just recently. Um, sure. And obviously, like we've had a shift in the macro environment with what the Fed's posturing and um, whether or not we go into a more longer protracted pullback or if, you know, eventually we just find some lows here and start grinding higher. We'll see. But personally, I, I'm kind of leaning towards the short bias on any major pops back towards uh, the all-time highs on the index. And there's a lot of stocks, you know, that I'm just day trading them anyway, right? So I have a swing account. So a lot of these uh, longer view situations don't really affect me as much. Um, well, you're a trader. You're not in the business of forecasting. No, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, uh, I've, I've heard guys talk about it. You know, you can... You can approach it one of two ways. You can try to predict the future or you can just trade it accordingly. Yeah. And you, you know, if you try to predict it, you know, you're going to end up getting hurt. Yeah. Uh, Tom Canfield comes to mind when I think of uh, <laughs> guys that I really yes. like to have that same mentality, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's always been your mantra, you know, in, in every time that I've heard you speak and you've spoken at several Traders for Cause events, you, you've talked about how technical is over everything, technical is over everything. Is that still the mantra now with your new system of trading? Yeah, big time. Especially like the funny thing is, is that everything about the system is based on technical stuff that's black and white that can be objectively observed. And there's still always that like, you know, we're talking October. So I haven't been this systematized for that long a period yet. So there is still these times when I put trades on or I'm about to put a trade on and I can feel myself questioning things that are what you're talking about more like fundamental or aren't black and white aren't objectively observable and the system is screaming at me to take the trade <laughs> like right. the the old me the guy with the discretion's going but 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 and i'm like just hit the button you know like hit the button right there's no that's the cool thing about a system right is that 
you're not supposed to insert your own ego into it, right? Right. If if you don't trust the system and you can't take the trades it tells you to take, what's the point of the system? A very good point. But it becomes that struggle, right? That's at least for me now. That's currently the struggles that I deal with on a day-to-day basis is trying to remember that like, yo, even if you feel personally like maybe there's a reason to skip this trade, you don't get to have that that say right now. Because I have, you know, like I'll skip trades that are valid and I'll be like, but the price action, it feels like it's going higher or something. And like later on, when I have to track that data in my in my system, you know, it ends up on my spreadsheet and the spreadsheet's just laughing at me. So I'm like, I'm starting to think that you're you're kind of destined to become a quant guy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting there a bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm seeing that in your future. Well, that's that's great. I mean, psychological stuff it seems to come into every conversation associated with being a trader. And, you know, if you can find a way to kind of weed that out, I think that you're going to be all set, you know, and you're going to actually extend your life by, by a number of years as well. That is a, that's definitely the goal. I'll tell you one thing, man, is like, if you ask most successful traders, like the reasons trading so hard, it's most likely they're going to have some form of a, like, because human emotions, make it hard right it's successful trading or trading correctly often goes like directly against what intuition or instinct might tell you right so like well oftentimes the best time to buy something is when when it is scary as shit to buy it right like if it's flushing emotionally down into some levels it's really hard to want to just step in front of that and buy it catch the falling knife yeah yeah and like now there's a there's times when it is like when you're really early and you just need to admit it but there's times when like it's coming into levels that if you can't man up and put your trade on at these levels, you know, you're, you're missing out on the best prices. Right. Right. And, uh, it goes directly against every instinct and same with like the, the opposite side of, you know, when you need to stop out, but not wanting to, because your emotions are telling you, you no, know, like taking a loss hurts. We like to avoid pain. And it's like those, those really deeply rooted psychological feelings and emotions we have are the exact reason the trading is so difficult. So like systematizing everything removes it right now. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it so that you put a trade on where you caught something that's flushing and you just feel like instantly happy or like at ease about it, but at least you're at peace with the outcome because your system is responsible, not you, you, your personal value isn't attached to the outcome. Are you still primarily short selling? Is that like your bread and butter still? With small caps. Yeah. So if I trade small caps, it's almost always from the short side. I, you know, every once in a while, I will see like something happening on the tape or like a setup where it's a pretty obvious trap. uh, And I can, you know, kind of get in there. I oftentimes pike them because I don't feel too comfortable on the long side of a name that I know is trash. But with the large caps, I'm completely unbiased. Like it's long, short, either or all day long. Would you view your system more contrarian? Like, are you typically going against the grain, if you will? So the way I trade has, you know, led me to find, you know, I have to actually define all these different setups and each one is going to be slightly different. So like I've kind of really narrowed it down to 16 setups uh, and it's eight and eight, right? Long and short. Now, the majority of them are mean reversion trades, meaning taking the contrarian side, trying to just, it's more of a scalp mentality, right? I think there's like a negative connotation that comes along with saying scalp because people think you're looking for pennies, right? But to me, scalp 
is just talking about how long you're in the trade, right? It's like, if you're trying to join a trend, you might be in the trade the whole day, right? As long as the trend's working, you might be in that trade. But for me, scalping is I'm, I'm taking the opposite side of an emotional move and I'm taking the, the meat of the reversion. So for me personally, I do have quite a few of those 16 R mean reversion setups, but there are a few that are the exact same criteria has to be met, but the, the broader view of the trade is that it's joining the bigger trend. And those are ones where, you know, I will end up in that trade as long as the trend is paying. Interesting. So do you find yourself, if you are looking for that meat of the move from a psychological perspective, if you leave a lot of meat on the bone, does that frustrate you or you just take your win and you're happy with it? Like one of the things that I feel I do really well is set targets, like objective targets. And I think that's probably something a lot of traders struggle with, right? If, if they're just taking profits at an arbitrary level that doesn't really have a significant meaning or reason behind that target. Uh, a lot of times those people may find they feel upset about their, their profit taking, right? Um, me personally, I know that the targets I have are objective and rational. And so like when I get my targets, oftentimes they're very, very good targets that don't leave much on. And when they do, it's usually just to the next time frames uh, mean, right? So like I personally use the one minute 20, the five minute 20, the 20 minute 20, the, mm -hmm. you know, I'm using the 20 SMA on pretty much every time frame and acknowledging that when stocks trend, they like to trend on the 20 SMA on whatever time frame it is. So if I'm shorting a stock that spiked emotionally, by definition, it should have sped up away from the one minute 20. Mm -hmm. And so that first targets written in stone for me is the one minute 20. And when we get back to that, it's up to it's up to the author of the story at that point. Does it want to hold trend and continue on its way up? Or does it want to seek the next time frame down, which for me would be the five minute. And so, you know, I can always have a secondary target. Sometimes I'll take half at the first target, half at the second and be done with the trade. But they're they're rational objective targets. And so, like, regardless of what happens after the system executed the way the system was supposed to execute. And again, has nothing, no bearing on me personally. So are there any other technical indicators that you use other than your moving averages? I use pivot points on lots of timeframes. So like a lot of people may be familiar with pivot points. And if you, depending on your charting platform, most people are probably just familiar with the daily pivots, which are calculated based off the previous day's daily candle. But there's weekly pivots, monthly pivots, quarterly pivots, annual pivots. And, you know, those are key levels for me just based on how those are calculated. And when I see major emotional moves into those levels, those become very significant levels for me, for my system. Moving averages, I throw VWAP on my chart just because I know everybody else has it. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm moderating over at uh, True Trader, it, it kind of looks silly for me to not know where VWAP's at, knowing most of the people in the community are probably looking at it too. But uh, it does play a much smaller role in my trading compared to what most traders out there might, might say. It's not that it doesn't play any role. I, I definitely would be lying if I said I don't pay attention to it, but. Well, it becomes somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy if everybody's looking at it. You well, doesn't I mean? everything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the same with the, the 20 SMA, right? Makes sense. So coming from uh, an approach, a more discretionary approach where you did a lot more fundamental analysis, you know, I've interviewed a couple guys, notably JC uh, with All Star Charts, who claim that 
regardless of the market environment, that fundamentals really just aren't that important because everything that you need to find in the story can be found in the chart. What do you say to that? Do you agree? Yeah, hundred percent. Now, like people need to understand one thing, right? Like if one, when I talk about fundamentals, I feel like we probably are using a very loose version of that term because fundamentals, if you really want to be strict about the use of that word is more geared towards reading a balance sheet and looking at a company's financial position and thinking in terms of like the macro. But when we typically talk about fundamentals in the small cap world, we're really just talking about SEC filings, right? And looking for looking for red flags, because sometimes if you understand what you're reading, you can actually identify a company's agenda before it even really plays out. And that is an edge, right? So it doesn't just give you the answers to the test, but it, it definitely is a big clue about what may be coming. But again, it still has to always play out with the price action. So that's why I've always been that way where I remind people that the fundamentals are great and everything. Like it's amazing to dig and find some really cool things in the SEC filings. But if you ignore the technicals, you do so at your own peril. I mean, I've seen a lot of people, they'll, oh, XYZ has a $50 million ATM. It's an automatic short. It's gapping up, right? But the second the price, the second the bell rings and the price starts hitting the, the tape, it's not heavy. It's literally like there's no selling happening, but they're just so fixated on this ATM and the fact that it's a short that they ignore all the technicals and they end up just getting squeezed to death on it. And it's like, guys, the, the technicals got to line up with your fundamental thesis. So, well, I think the argument to be made for technicals over everything is basically that there's always going to be somebody in the room that has more information than you do and who is better at reading that, that financial report than you are and can kind of understand the convoluted language better than you can. So the proof is in the volume. The proof is in the you know, the chart. I mean, I guess that's the, I mean, it makes, it makes sense to me where I see it diverging a little bit is when you find yourself in a, a situation where you're capitulating out of a, a position because you're looking at the technicals and they're scaring the shit out of you. And fundamentally, you know, it might be sound. So I'm reminded of just recently, you know, I had my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer recommended some good, you know, shipping stocks that have gone on a freaking tear. And I, you know, I had some small positions in them just for just for shits and giggles. And when the market started to melt early, I guess it was early last week, I sold them, I got scared and I sold them. And then now they're back at highs again. So I, I said to him on that day, I said, you know, this looks really ugly. I'm scared. I'm just going to bail out for now. I can always get back in. And I said, doesn't this stuff? I mean, like, he's got way bigger positions than I ever did. I'm like, does this stuff kind of like freak you out? He's like, I'm a fundamentals guy. I don't even look at the day to day. I'm like, Wow, I mean that's that's incredible. I mean, I, I guess he looks at the technicals to you know place his orders and get in, but he really is that you know set and and confident in his analysis that he'll just hold it. Pretty incredible to me. So, yeah. Now I always I'm always in admiration of the guys that can do that stuff, right? Like I'm never gonna be the guy that tries to tell somebody that the way they do something's wrong, right? Because I mean, there's so many different ways to make money in the market, but it's just really, really important for people to find what works for them. You know, like I, every weekend I do like the Sunday prep for, you know, I do it for true trader, but like we put it out on Twitter and YouTube and stuff for everybody. But like one of the things I'm constantly like 
harping on is the fact that like I don't want people to come in and just try to piggyback the ideas. I want them to pay attention to the thought process and figure out how can they apply it to their own trading. Like sadly enough, you know, I think a lot of people just ignore that that warning and they try to piggyback ideas. But the thing is, is like, you know, entries to a, a, a trade are a very small piece of the main, the big idea. And so like, just because you know where I might be entering a trade doesn't give you any real insight into how I'm managing my risk, what the targets are or where I would possibly say that the thesis is broken. And so, you know, you got to figure out what works for you. And like, like I said, man, those guys that do the fundamental stuff and have that conviction that they don't really look at the chart that much. That, that's that's crazy to me but dude, more power to them <laughs> right right does your system scale in or do you are you typically like kind of like single entry points so for when i anytime the trade i'm taking is a mean reversion trade it's full size one entry when i want to join a trend is where i would actually be willing to put on a starter and add as it confirms right because for me personally like the, the scalp trade when you're trying to take that meat of the reversion should happen. If you're right, it should happen quickly. It's not something that should dick around up at the highs and like maybe start to grind higher. Like if it doesn't revert pretty quickly from where I enter, most likely I'm wrong. I'm not there to scale in. Like I'm there to put it on. You know, I say this to the room a lot. When I'm putting those trades on, I'm not there to take half size because what if it works right away? And then all of a sudden you're left with a tiny win because you know you didn't take your full position where your system said to. So I'm not taking trades to break even. My goal is not to, to make small wins. Like I talk to a lot of traders and there's so many guys out there and I'm sure people listening will probably like kind of uh, relate to this, but there's a lot of guys out there with 70, 75, 80% win rates and they're not profitable. People that have a 75% win rate and are not profitable are a dime a dozen. I got a 40% win rate and it's extremely profitable. And it's because I don't care about these predetermined small losses that happen when they happen. It's that when they, when they, when I'm right and they work, I've got my size and I'm, you know, I'm, I'd rather be the guy with a bunch of small losses and a bigger one or two big wins that just eats them up. than the guy that's like, I constantly have all these small wins and then I have a big loss that wipes them all out. Like, well, it would take a lot of paper cuts to kill you essentially. I mean, yeah. that, that's definitely. Uh, but, but, you know, when you're joining trend, that's a different story because that may not be something that unfolds immediately. It could be something that, you know, it needs to sort of develop. Things have to kind of play out. And for that reason, you know, for I can put a quarter position, half position, whatever it be on. And when you start, like if, we're talking about a long, if it starts to make those higher lows, I can start buying dips and build into a full position. But if it never starts to make those higher lows, when I cut the loss, it's insignificant because I never had a full position, right? No, I mean, a lot of the best traders that I know, they they definitely lose more than 50% of the time, but yet they make money. One of the uh, aha moments from doing all the back testing and the data was the ability for me to you know, I built a spreadsheet that allows me to adjust risk as almost like a, a tuning button, right? And I could, you know, I started with a certain amount of risk and I, I had, you know, probably what most traders would do is intuitively ask the question, what if I like gave it a little more wiggle room? Would I have a higher win rate, right? Mm -hmm. And I did, like the win rate went up, but it didn't go up significantly. Mm -hmm. So like when I loosened the risk, the win rate went up, but the expectancy came down. 
Sure. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. And so like one day, you know, I was just kind of tracking data and playing around stuff. And I was like, dude, what if we just tighten that risk up? Right. Mm -hmm. And I started tightening it up. And as I started losing more often, the system started producing more profits. And I was like, what the, <laughs> you know, like, and like, I actually did a Sunday prep where that was the title of the, the prep. It was lose more often, make more money. And it's, you know, it was something that when I realized I wanted to share that with everybody, I wanted people to realize, stop being so infatuated with these high win rates because they're not that special. In fact, they're dangerous from, from a viewpoint of, you know, if you know your, your system produces like a 95% win rate, are you going to be disciplined enough to take the loss when it's that one out of 20 that doesn't work, right? Are, are you even going to be able to identify the one out of 20 that doesn't work? Because if you fight that one out of 20, you turn something that should have been a one hour loss into something that eats up a bunch of your wins. Whereas the guy who has a 40% win rate puts on every single trade going, this one's probably a loser. <laughs> no big deal. No, it's very interesting. It's, it's two very different schools of thought when it comes to trading. I mean, like one of them is the slow and steady wins the race. And the other is a gambler mentality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you talk briefly about how you define your edge and how you develop it? Where do you start? Yeah. So like, if you want to talk about it in broader terms, like how other people might be able to find an edge, it always starts with trying to identify something in the market that you one can notice happening repetitively mm -hmm. uh, and also something that most likely resonates with whatever style fits you best. Um, and from that point, it becomes a matter of collecting a large uh, sample size of data. I always tell people cast a wide net. You want as many samples as you can and not just ones that not just setups that are an example of that trade working out. You want a lot of examples where they don't work. Your job as a data miner is to identify what parts of the setup or what pieces of data actually have a meaningful correlation to a positive outcome of that trade. You also want to find the things that you might think have a correlation to it, but it turns out through the data actually aren't correlated. So I use uh, Spike Heat, uh, which is a data service. They, you know, historical data and you can pull really insane things. You know, I, I'm not paid to say their name or anything. I, I would never... I wouldn't promote a company that I don't use personally and believe in. And I'm telling you, I haven't found anything out there that cuts that, that, uh, so like, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with all day faders, um, mm -hmm. and a bunch of other guys out there who probably have been tracking data for years before spike heat actually had this product. And they'll tell you, man, it's like one of the most tedious things in the world to do it by hand, mm -hmm. but it's necessary because without the data, you don't have the conviction. Sure. So, it really is that shortcut to being able to get a huge sample size. So, you know, in broader terms, that's your job is to, is to say, have a hypothesis and then search out data that either validates or invalidates your idea. And if, if it validates it and you truly do find an edge, a statistical edge, then it's your job to kind of refine it and, and, and really kind of go all in on it and focus on it to where you have it dialed in. Now, personally for me, the edge I trade is, is a psychological, emotional edge based on emotional moves into significant levels on a chart, right? So over TrueTrader, we use scanners that, you know, find large moves on, you know, liquid big name stocks that are going into significant levels. 
and we put the trade on to either take a mean reversion trade on it or like i said i've identified a few where you know it may spike off the open but then it flushes emotionally back into some support and at that point for me that's more of a trend join and mm -hmm. so you know different setup different targets different uh system but it's all about you know once you have that edge for me personally if the people on the opposite side of my trade are those people that are chasing the stock up and fomoing in hopefully most people can like relate to this, right? Like you see a stock spiking and you rush to buy it because you don't want to miss it. And the second you put the trade on, you go, oh, you <laughs> realize you messed up right. and your fingers on the trigger ready to bail out of that trade, right? right? I want those people to be the people on the opposite side of my trade. Of course. Because, you know, anytime that people are making an irrational, emotional decision, you have an edge over that person to take the opposite side of that trade. So for that reason, because it's rooted in psychology and behavioral human behavior, one, I don't think it's an edge that will ever disappear. And two, after you find a way to trade that edge, the, the second edge that you layer on top of that is your risk management, right? And so I don't think people even realize this, but your risk management is a huge edge. Not everybody has it. Not everybody even knows how to, to manage their risk. And like I said, you know, when, when you have that aha moment that like, it's sometimes better to stop out more often in order to seek out that higher expectancy or that, that extra bit of profitability that in itself is an edge. So hopefully do you feel like you're more actively looking for, like when you're trying to test a hypothesis, if you will, do you find yourself ever conflicted, like in like putting on blinders and only looking for things to confirm it and not actively looking for ways to disprove it. Yeah. So, you know, that was one of the issues when I first started with defining the edge I trade now was like realizing that, you know, when you're building this data set, you'll, you'll run into situations where like, Oh, it, you know, it just missed by like a penny hitting this level I need. And you'd be like, cat, you're like putting it in your spreadsheet and you're like, no, you have to, it's not like, or am I, is my goal to impress people or is my goal to identify a legitimate edge? Because right. part of the human ego wants to like butter it up and like massage the numbers. But the other part needs to be like acknowledging the fact that like we have a goal here. And that is to, to know with a hundred percent, a hundred percent conviction that there's a statistical edge here. And the only way to do that is to be a hundred percent honest with every single piece of data. You, you have collect. to be a robot, right? Like you, yeah. you can't, like the moment, the moment that you bend the rules is the moment that you're involving emotions and that that's what you're trying to avoid. Right. I mean, yeah. And I always tell people because like, uh, I've tried to kind of guide people onto the same path. Right. So that they can, I'm like, dude, I could tell you my, the statistics and the data I found, but it is never going to impact you the same way it impacted me from doing the actual work. Right. And so like, but I want everyone to experience it because there's this feeling that you get the first time you start to see those aha moments that will literally make you smile ear to ear to like know that you're just like, dude, this is amazing stuff right here. The only way to get that is to do the work. And so like I have been trying to like guide people down that path. And like I tell people all the time, like be very strict about like the data you collect, because I tell them, you know, you're going to run into those issues and it's not wrong to like, let's say that we identify a level that this is where the trade should be valid, right? Well, a lot of people go, well, I want to take that trade like 30 cents in front of that level. I'm like, okay, if that's what you want to do, 
then you need to track that data. You can't just track the data for when it hits that level. So you got to be like pretty vigilant about that. And so, you know, and the other part of me is always telling them like, dude, like stop trying to front run the level. <laughs> like if you track the data, you'll have, you'll have numbers to prove that don't worry that level gets hit plenty times, right? It's not about quantity, it's quality. And right. you, you're, you want to take the nuance out of it, essentially. Exactly. For, for the guys that are, are, you know, trying to find their way in this business, what do you, what do you see as some of the biggest hurdles to get by, you know, to, to succeed and, and to make it for the long haul, to not be a part of the 90%? Uh, the first is probably just people following, right? And, you know, they want to just be told what to do. And it usually just handicaps them and like slows down their growth. Cause most people, I mean, there's a, those alert services are, there's so many out there. And, you know, even if you make money on somebody's call, you're not guaranteed to, to be able to continuously do that. And on top of that, you haven't learned anything. And if that person were to just close up shop and be gone, where's that leave you? Right. So right. I, I, you know, I highly recommend finding a mentor. I mean, I know you've heard me talk about that and it's, you know, make sure you guys understand the difference between a mentor and an alert service. Like, <laughs> you know, a mentor shouldn't just be like handing you fish and being like, hey, short this here and long this here and sell this here. It's right. no, like you guys need somebody that's going to shortcut that learning process and tell you like, there are certain things in the market that are legitimate edges. And if you look here, you may find one, right? But the, the real truth is that there, even if you find a mentor, there is no substitute for the actual hard work, like the real work. Some people really do well and flourish when they're under that kind of uh, situation where like they realize it takes that work and other people sh like just shun away from it. If you're the type of person that doesn't like that hard work, it might just not be for you, right? right. Um, I'm it not seems gonna... like the guys that really last are the guys that march to the beat of their own drum. You know, I mean, yeah. it sound like a broken record because I feel like that's come up on this podcast so much, but you know, truthfully, you, you need to discover what works for you, you know, and, and following somebody else's lead is not the answer, at least to a sustained career in trading. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, if you just find a YouTube video that tells you how to like trade a moving average crossover, it's like, if everybody's doing the same thing, then that thing is not going to work. Right. It just is what it is. Of course. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why, you know, any type of trading system, any type of strategy needs to adapt. It needs to adapt to market conditions. It needs to adapt when, when more people are, are looking at the same thing, it'll be less effective. Nothing lasts forever. You know what I mean? There, you know, there's certainly some, well, there's some very, I, I always put nuance on that same thing. Cause I hear a lot of people say that. And the, the nuance I add to that is very few things are forever in the market. Okay. Right. Like, one of the few things that you can go back in charts dating back to when they were still hand drawn, right. Is you will never find a time in the history of the market where a stock could go higher without making higher highs and higher lows, right? Like that's an objective fundamental truth about the way stocks move and it mm -hmm. can't go lower without making lower highs and lower lows. I always put a large emphasis on acknowledging the things that are objective truths, right? Because there's very few of them really right. is. Um, and the way stocks move via a trend is one of the few fundamental truths about the market that will always be and has always been true. And if you can find a way to build that into your system, 
somehow just reading what the stock is doing based on the trend, you can build things around that, that will be better at standing the test of time because they will always be there. Now, there are other things, a lot of things, right? There's so many strategies out there that work one way in one market and suck in another market, right? right. And that's just the way that is. So you kind of have to acknowledge where you're at, what your system is, that stuff you got to track too. You know, Mike Bellafiore, shout out to him and SMB for turning me on to a really cool thing to track. And that was tracking VIX, tracking volatility to see how your system trades in different volatility markets. Because I never even thought about that. And it, it turns out, it, you know, for what the way I trade, if you're trading emotional moves into levels, VIX is kind of important, right? Like, how big is an emotional move if VIX is at 30? How big is an emotional move if VIX is at 15, right? So, you know, I'm always trying to learn from everybody out there. Uh, I take bits and pieces of all the stuff that people teach and I make it into my own. It's a never ending journey, that's for sure. It is indeed. Well, Ricky, that's all I have for you for today. But uh, what are you thinking about Traders for Cause this year? Are you going to be in attendance again? I will. <laughs> I wouldn't miss it, man. You guys put on such a good event. You know, it it's an amazing cause, but it's an, also just an amazing event, right? Like, it's so fun to see all the other guys, you know, especially after COVID's been so protracted out. And, uh, you know, we go months and months without seeing a lot of our friends definitely looking forward to it this year. It's so unique, isn't it? Like I, I, I try to describe it to people who've never been. And I think a lot of people like to th like lump us together with like the Traders Expo. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's not like that at all. You know, like it's almost more of a, a gathering of friends than it is a seminar, you know, like it, it has a kind of a unique vibe and it's really indescribable. You just kind of have to experience it. Right. I mean, yeah. I've been to two and I remember the first one was like, I, I was, I, I was hooked. I was just yeah. like, dude, I, I, I was bummed out because the first one I went to was the last one before COVID and okay. I had to go, what, like a year and a half without one. I was like, dude, please uh, have it this year. <laughs> well, I think there's no reason why we won't be back in the fall, especially we pulled it off in 21. And I arguably, I hear this every year that it gets better and better, but 2021 went out, went over great. I thought it was a taste of normalcy in the midst of the pandemic. And I think that maybe we'll maybe just maybe we'll be in a different position come the fall and I'll be back in person yeah. again. So well, from me to you, big thanks for uh, all the work you do to put that on because I know it's not an easy task. I'm surprised you're not fully gray beard, but <laughs> well, so far, so good. But uh, you know, that could change. <laughs> that could change very quickly. I think that honestly, like it I enjoy it. Um, I feel like it's rewarding. I feel like the organization has come from its infancy into, you know, becoming this, this, uh, this thing. And, and I just, the feedback is what keeps me going and, and everybody just telling me how much it's affected their careers and how it's, uh, you know, really influenced them and inspired them to make difference in the world. And as you know, in our industry, we need as much of that as we can, as we can get. So. I appreciate you being with me and um, we'll probably be doing something virtual this spring. So I'll keep you in the loop and we'll let you know. And uh, in the meantime, I'll uh, ask everybody to trade profit and make a difference. Ricky, thanks for being with me. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for having me, Zach. All right, you bet.